Hello? Am I on? Yeah? <laughs> Great. Hi, everyone. Good morning. Um, um, as um, JP and Kerr said, I'm Rosie, and it really is a joy to be speaking to you this morning, um, whether you're um, at home or here in the building. Um, I'm going to start this morning with um, a bit of an origin story. <clears throat> um, um, the origin story of um, a man called Paul, the Apostle Paul, um, in the Bible. Um, actually, I'm going to start with a really quick, really quick fact, because this blew my mind. Um, it actually never says anywhere in the Bible that Saul changed his name to Paul, or that his name was changed. Does that blow anyone else's mind? It's just two different pronunciations of the same name. No? Okay, well, <laughs> it's only up from here. <laughs> um, right, we, when we meet Paul, um, he, um, he's kind of a big deal. He's a, he, he's a huge deal in um, the Jewish faith and in Jewish community, being really well-known, really by like um, a really big deal Pharisee. So, um, and um, he is fiercely protective of the Jewish faith and the Jewish way of life. And when we meet Saul, he's basically trying to eradicate uh, this bunch of passionate, new, radical disciples who call themselves the followers of the way. And he's going about this basically by having them killed and by having them imprisoned. Um, and these believers say that they are followers of a man named Jesus, um, who they believe has risen from the dead. And Paul, in, this, in Paul's mind, this was blasphemy. This was dangerous teaching that could affect um, the Jewish way of life. So um, when we meet Paul in, in this story, he's, um, it says in the Bible he's breathing out murderous threats, which I think is very dramatic. And he's on his way um, to a place called Damascus to imprison a bunch of followers of Jesus. And then suddenly on the road in broad daylight, there's this almighty light from heaven and there's a man standing in front of him. And the man says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who, who are you? And the man says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Not why are you persecuting people who follow me? Why are you persecuting me? See, what Jesus was saying to Paul here was that to persecute them was to persecute him. Why? Because the church is the body of Christ. As JP said, we're um, nearly at the end of a series looking at the way that the Bible describes the church, the way that um, pictures and images that God gives to describe the church. Um, because after a time, when, like so much else in our life, as um, Duncan and Hannah alluded to, it's kind of been tough, right? It's kind of been a slog. Um, church has been difficult at best and actually sometimes quite painful and confusing at worst. We just want to spend a bit of time. We, we've spent some time over the last few weeks um, and this morning um, just letting ourselves be captivated again, being a, like gripped again by the miracle and the mystery that is the Church of Christ. And today we're looking at what does it mean for the church to be the body of Christ? Now, if we skip forward about 30 years in Paul's life, um, he wrote a letter to a church in a place called Ephesus. And his tone towards the church now couldn't be more different than when we first meet him. Because uh, meeting Jesus changes everything. 
And um, uh, he writes this to the Ephesians. Um, if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians 1, 22 to 23, or it will come up on the screen. <coughs> thanks to Adrian. Um, thanks, Adrian. <laughs> um, so 22, 23 says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. There's quite a lot of pronouns going on here, so I'll I'll read it again, but um, with the names in. So the father put all things under Jesus's feet and gave Jesus as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, for us to understand something this morning of the wonder of what it means to be the church, the body of Christ, it will help us to look for a minute at what um, Christ, our head, is like. And I just want uh, to zoom in for a second on that phrase, head over all things. He gave him as head over all things. What does it mean that Jesus Christ is the head over all things? I think one of the best answers um, that we find to that, and certainly better than I could muster up myself, is in Colossians 1. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus Christ is the center of eternity. He is the king of the cosmos. The disciple John sees a vision of Jesus um, as a risen man in heaven, Um, And this is how he describes him. It says, his eyes were like blazing fire. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Right, I want us to keep that image of Jesus Christ in our minds as we read the passage again. Um, what it means for Jesus to be head of all things. Keep that in your mind. He put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body. What kind of creatures or people would the king of glory choose to identify himself with so closely as to call them his own body? Have a look around. (laughs) Everything that has ever existed and will ever exist belongs to Christ because all things were made through him and for him, but only the church has the privilege of being called the body of Christ. Everyone belongs to Christ, but no one belongs to Christ like the church because the church are the ones who are called his own, who he has brought to himself. I think it would have been mind-boggling enough for us to simply be able to say for all eternity, God loves us. That knowledge in itself could have kept us going for a good few millennia in wonder, right? The God of the universe loves us. What is man? That he is mindful of us. But to be brought 
in that love into the very life of God, so in union with him that we could be called the body of Christ. This is a profound mystery and one that we will spend eternity enjoying. In the Bible, it even says that um, angels long to look into these things. Like angels don't even understand this mystery. Um, we have a bit of a joke in our, in our house <laughs> about angels. Um, I think it came um, from like one time someone was like, oh, thanks so much for doing the washing up, you angel. And I was like, oh, well, actually, um, it's better to be a human than an angel because angels don't have a relationship with God. <laughs> I was like, that's the kind of comedy you can expect if you come around my house. <laughs> um, and then since then, like, sometimes someone's like, oh, what an angel. Like, actually, what a human. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what, like, the point I'm trying to make, <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is like, like, not even angels get to be called the body of Christ. I mean, angels get to be brought into relationship with Jesus. They spend eternity worshipping Jesus, but we get to be with him. We get to know him. I think we would have to try really hard to overstate the preciousness of the church in the heart of God. When we see the plan for creation that God describes in his word, right at the center of the plan, in the wrapping up of all history, there right in the center is the church, glorifying the son as his own body. It says somewhere else in Ephesians, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might display the surpassing riches of his grace demonstrated by his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I think it was helpful for Duncan and Hannah to kind of um, be honest as they are um, and just say, oh, it's been a bit of a slog recently because I think if we're honest, some of us and probably actually lots of us are a bit weary with church at the moment. It has been, I've got it even written here, it's been a hard slog. <laughs> Uh, maybe you've got um, small children at home and trying um, to engage with church whilst also keeping them entertained feels like some kind of game show challenge every week. Maybe um, you've just really missed the sense of purpose and belonging that's, that's serving in a ministry brought. Perhaps um, the culture that we found ourselves in of kind of um, in not necessarily in the church, but kind of in society of kind of disagreement and judgment and intense suspicion about the moral behavior of others, um, that this kind of culture's created is actually just meant that we find it a bit easier to disagree with decisions that leaders in the church have made about this or that. And then we don't see each other very often. And it's much easier to be annoyed at someone when you don't see them, right? Because you see them and you're like, oh, I really like you. <laughs> Um, a lot of us um, have actually found the family aspect of church much more exhausting than we thought we would, being able to be back together. Maybe it was something we were really looking forward to, and now it's not very easy, and it's exhausting, and we uh, get um, peopled out quicker. Maybe there are things that just actually feel quite painful and vulnerable, and tiring, and now we're not quite sure how to reintegrate back into it all. 
let's lift our eyes again this morning to see the church, how Christ sees us. I heard this years ago in a sermon by a guy called Tom Shaw, and I just love it. He said, to create the universe, it cost God speaking. God just spoke a word, universe. But to create his body, the church, it cost God dying. Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. The eternal son of God, the second person of the Trinity, he came down to be like us in our humanity. He suffered like us and with us. He died and was resurrected by the Father to glorious new life. Why? So that we, the church, could be lifted into the very life of God by being united with Christ forever as his body, the church. He did it all to bring the church to himself. And throughout the strangest times, the most obscure suffering of the past 18 months, Jesus has still been the head of the church, and he has still been the head of Grace Church. His attention on us hasn't wavered for a single second. How could it? We're his body. There is currently, at this very second, a man in heaven holding all things together, and his gaze is fixed on us, sitting socially distanced, wearing masks in this room. When we've been sitting in our loungewear, hastily grabbing like a bowl of shreddies, watching church online, he has still been the head of the body. Hallelujah. I um, went out with um, our wonderful One Thing team and Gus the other week to do um, just a bit of evangelism in Nottingham City Centre. We just wanted to go and speak to people, basically, and um, chat to them about faith and hope and ask them some questions. It was actually wonderful. So many people wanted to, wanted to chat about faith. Um, like, our OTs were just like, can I ask you a question? Like, what do you think about Jesus? And people were like, oh, yeah, I'll chat. And we were like, what? <laughs> it's working. Um, Anyway, we, 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 um, I got chatting to this guy um, who, um, he called himself Christian, um, but he was just so full of fear about um, kind of the end of the world and what all of everything that's happening means for the church and like what's going on. And you could just tell the fear that was coming from him, like, what can we do? And I can't really sleep at night. And bless him, I couldn't really get a word in edgeways. So I was like, I want to tell you, but uh, that's fine, you can just speak. But um, I was just struck by this wave of compassion for him to know that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Don't you love that word my there? I will build my church, not the church, my church. He's got us. Mike Reeves says in one of his books, Christ is our head that has blazed a trail to glory that his body must follow. Jesus Christ has passed through death itself. He's alive eternally on the other side and where the head goes, the body will follow. And I also wanted to say to this, this guy, like, it's not just eternity that you're safe in. It's not just eternity that everything will be all right. 
We will be with Christ then, and we are with Christ now. Because God has given Christ to the church. I'm going to read um, our passage again. Um, maybe it can come up on the screen again. Um, listen to this word gave um, in this passage. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ has been given to us. And now Christ shares what is his with his body. What's in the head flows to the body. I realise that's not that doesn't work medically. <laughs> I was thinking about like that's quite gross idea actually. That's not how it works. But it's like um, imagine Jesus like the head of um, a stream, like the head of a river, like the source. But everything in him just continuously flows to this river. Ephesians 1 says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing. I um, came across an article a couple of years ago um, that the, like, the title was um, Christianity's Best Kept Secret. <laughs> and I was like, that's so clickbaity. I was like, I'm not going to read that. And then I was like, I wonder if I know the secret. <laughs> so I clicked on it. And actually, apart from the clickbaity title, um, the answer really struck with, stuck with me, actually. And it was simply this tiny phrase that we read in the Bible, um, I think, 164 times. But it's so, we so easily gloss past it because um, we can just read it as like Bible speak. You know, like the filler language stuff. Top tip, there's no filler in the Bible. Um, and the phrase is the words, in Christ. Do you know what it means that we, Grace Church, are in Christ? It means that every spiritual blessing that we have is not just from him, but in him. I'm going to read um, just the beginning of Ephesians quite quickly. Um, it's actually only like two sentences, but it, uh, it doesn't sound like two sentences. Um, and I want you, as I'm reading it, to listen out for how many times Paul says or uses the phrase in Christ, right? Um, oh, I think it might appear. Yeah, great. Off we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us us, the mystery of his will. This is all still one sentence in the Bible. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the, to the praise of his glory. In him, you also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, 
is the guarantee of inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. <laughs> because we are the body and he is the head, everything that is in him flows to us. And it's flowing to us right now, not just from him, but in him. All of this passage can actually just be summed up with, quite simply, we get Christ. All of these things describe what we have when we are in Christ, what we get because of who he is. That he is the supreme and highest blessing that the church has. To know him. To be with him. That's it. That's what we get as the body. And it sounds so simple, right? Like we get Jesus. But it's actually the most profound and wonderful thing that I could say to you this morning. Because we're the body of Christ, we get union with him. We get Jesus. Not just his benefits or the things he can give us. We get him. When I uh, joined Grace Church nine, ten, ten years ago. Uh, probably missed some key anniversary there or something. But, um, we were in a preaching series on the book of Luke. Um, and this like, it kind of is a little bit embarrassing, but I hope it's helpful. Um, I would think, like, basically every preach was just about Jesus. It was just, like, about who he was, what he did, what he was like. It was about the gospel. And I would honestly leave and be like, please, can we just mix it up a little bit? <laughs> be like I want some like advice right I want to like know how to live my life like tell me how to make decisions or um like choose a job or like have peace or stop worrying all of those things are really helpful and things that is good to teach on um but I just kind of wanted to hear something like oh I never heard before you know like I wanted something juicy like Christianity's best kept secret <laughs> but I like I look back at that time I'm just so grateful <laughs> that um that he's done something in me, that he's changed that, because we need to hear about Jesus every day. He's fascinating. Honestly, I could just stand here and talk about him all morning. Please don't wait for the life advice bit of the preach. The fact that Jesus has called us his, that is the most important thing you will hear today. And be willing to bet. Can I just give also just a really quick, just a really quick word on listening to other preachers? Um, lots of us listen to preachers online. That's great. There's loads of great stuff out there. Um, there's also so much stuff out there that like subtly teaches us that the Bible is about ourselves and it's not about Jesus, that, that subtly tells us to focus more on ourselves than on Christ. Like, um, I've come up with some like fake um, prosperity gospel preach titles because I thought it'd be cheeky to use real ones. Um, it was quite fun, actually. Th things like God's plan for your success or how to defeat your Goliath. Or this is my favorite one. Happy, healthy and wealthy. The best you yet is just around the corner. <laughs> um, maybe I should have. Maybe I should change tack. <laughs> um, here are some things to think about when you're listening to preachers. Does the preach point me to Jesus? Is it about him? Number two, 
Does it make the story of the Bible about you or about him? And is it based in scripture? Does it lift up scripture as a, help, as a gift to help us see Jesus? Because he is all we have as the church. He is it. There's nothing else. There are no more t- tips or tricks. He's the secret, Jesus Christ, in us, the hope of glory. And Jesus is the only thing that we have to offer the world around us. So we think about our vision as a church to reach Nottingham with the gospel. We think about what we can do to love those around us, to reach out, to do mission. The only thing that we have is the hope of Jesus. In fact, the church is the primary way that Christ by his spirit is present in the world. Do you remember those radical disciples proclaiming the risen Messiah um, who Paul was um, persecuting? Jesus so closely identified with them. He's still like that now with us. This is how he identifies with us. We are his body on earth. The Bible says that we are his hands and feet. When Jesus was on earth, he showed the world what the father was like. The image of the invisible God, the Bible says, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. Then, after two years of doing ministry, on a mountain in the Middle East, he stood and said to this kind of ramshackle bunch of followers, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Do you see what's happening there? He was saying, my authority is your authority. My power will be in you. As he ascended to heaven, he left the church full of the spirit, full of his spirit, with the mission that was his on earth. And from that point on to this very day, for the world to know what Christ looks like, the world looks at the church because he has chosen that he would be present on earth by his spirit in his body, the church. The church is God's chosen way of being manifest on the earth. Now, as you hear that, maybe something that crosses your mind, because I think it's probably crossed mine before, is like, when we hear about the riches of the enormity of the grace of God to us, the fact that we are in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing in him, the fact that the church is God's plan to make Christ manifest on earth, we can say, if this is all true, why does church often feel so unimpressive? Like, look around again, like, kind of mundane, right? Like, this is it. This is God's plan. Like, you're looking at it. And like, when we get back to serving again, we're like, yes, I'm going to join a serving team for the kingdom. And then like you're doing kids work and you planned it, but the kids aren't really paying attention or you're on the welcome team and the coffee machine breaks or you're leading home group and like six people cancel like half an hour before. And it can feel like it, this, this is it. <laughs> this is God's plan. And I particularly remember this feeling like um, uh, I used to kind of man the car park sometimes <laughs> um, a few years ago. And I'd be wearing a high-vis at like 8.30 a.m. in the cold. I'd be standing there on this main road. 
And I'd be like, this is the church. <laughs> and sometimes it'd be like, wow. And sometimes it'd be like, oh. <laughs> um, what the Bible says about this is that we have the treasure of the gospel in jars of clay. And when church feels weak and unimpressive and mundane, that's actually God's design. That in weak, unimpressive vessels, that we would carry the glorious mystery of the gospel. And the church, the life of the church is this paradox. In death, we find our life. In suffering, we know victory. In earthen clay pots, we carry Jesus himself. With each passing month, as we're able to kind of do more things again, let us, as the church, choose to live our lives serving the body of Christ in unseen, mundane ways. Let's die to our ideas of what a successful, impressive work looks like. Because by, by doing so, we will demonstrate to the world that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And later in the same passage, it says, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Can I invite the band up? As we said, we've just got one uh, week left of our um, series in the church. Um, and I've just so enjoyed actually just spending time um, dwelling on who he's made us to be, remembering again, oh yeah, <laughs> like there's a plan here, like this is what this is for. Um, in a second, JP's just going to get up and kind of um, take us through the next bit. But um, I'd like to finish with a quote from another JP, John Piper. <laughs> um, <laughs> he says this. Oh, let us never trivialize the church. It cost God the life of his son to create this. And what you share with the persons sitting near you in Christ is a life and an inheritance and a union so great and so profound that it surpasses the value of all other human relationships and all inheritances and can never end. JP, come up. Thanks so much.